Hi listener, Matt here. So, when we were recording the podcast this morning, we conducted what I would say was around a 10-minute conversation. It was an intelligent conversation. It was an informed conversation about Michael Elise's impending transfer to Chelsea. Luke made some great points. Simon had a lot to say that was pertinent. Then what happened? Well, in between us finishing the conversation and Lucy uploading the podcast... Michael Elise signed a new contract with Crystal Palace, so he will not be coming to Chelsea. Uh, So you can disregard anything you hear about Michael Elise on this podcast. Them's the breaks. This is the game. The transfer window is not the podcaster's friend. Oh, and also, Rhys James might have a hamstring injury. Plus ça change. Now back to our regularly scheduled programming. The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. Coming up on this episode, after the Caicedo confirmation comes the likelihood of Lavia and the offer for Elise. We'll look ahead to the weekend trip to West Ham, round up the rest of the Chelsea news and do a quiz. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts, ad-free on The Athletic and more emotive than a Caicedo announcement video. This is straight out of Cobham. Yeah, listener, we're back to talking about big spending Chelsea and what they've been up to this week, including, but not limited to, splashing the cash once again. It's me, Matt Davis-Adams, joined by the Athletics Chelsea expert, Simon Johnson. How are you doing, Simon? I feel like I've had my own Moises Casado saga and it involved driving to and from Gatwick Airport in the middle of the night, literally just a few hours ago. So that's how good I'm doing. I feel like Moises Casado saga. But not sitting on the boot of your car, hugging your mother, saying, this is what we always wanted. There were no hugs involved. I can confirm this. There was probably a bit of scowling and what the hell is going on. But yeah. But I'm here. I'm here as always, upbeat and ready to rumble. Might be some Brighton supporters scowling and wondering what the hell's going on as well. Uh, also back for his sophomore appearance on the pod. And today, I'm going to pronounce his name correctly as well, I hope. It's Luke Bosher. How are you doing, Luke? All good, Matt. All good. Thank you. Feeling a lot fresher than Sai, I imagine. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, looking it too, I've got to say. Well... That's the case anyway, isn't it? Like, regardless of Gatwick <laughs> airports and things, youth over, yes. Experience and quality is what you're looking no. for, Simon, I think, maybe. <laughs> don't, don't want to mislead anybody. <laughs> uh, Luke, by the way, listener, is part of the Athletics News team. He is also certified proper Chelsea. That is why he is on the show this season. Now, you want a transfer update, though, don't you, listener? Well, I've got some good news for you on the other side of this thing. All right, if you are wondering how Chelsea are able to make all these moves without irking the numbers droids who keep an eye on financial fair play, Simon and Liam Toomey have written a big explainer on The Athletic, so go check that out. If you aren't a subscriber, you can be. It's uh, only £1.99 a month for the first 12 months. You just head to theathletic.com slash Chelsea pod 
to sign up. Uh, Simon also went on the Athletic Football podcast on Tuesday. So have a listen to that if you want to get a grip on the financials. I'm sure he's as bored of explaining it as uh, you are of listening to it, listener. Basically, they make the contracts long. Uh, they're not in UEFA competitions. So they can get away with it for now. It's fine. Uh, so that leads us to Moises Caicedo. As we said on Monday, it got done. Uh, I wonder, listener, if you cried as much at the announcement video as producer Lucy did. Uh, Luke, what are your feelings to, to finally get this one over the line, out the way, and, and finally get around to just watching the content of him doing things like stretching his legs in a room at the gym in Cobham? Uh, I'm very excited. I think it's going to be a good signing. I think he's going to dovetail really nicely with Enzo Fernandez, as I'm sure we all read Liam's piece on the pair a couple of weeks ago now, I think. And it's just good to get. It's always nice when a a transfer saga comes to a a nice conclusion. Uh, You feel like a bit of a weight's lifted off your shoulders and you don't have to go through every single iteration of bid made, bid accepted, journeying for medical, doing his medical tying his shoelaces, et cetera, et cetera. Hmm. One can only imagine the amount of nectar points that Chelsea have racked up with Brighton. There'll be a lot of free kettles coming their way to Cobham, uh, you would have thought. Simon, it is what? 12 minutes past 10 on Thursday morning. As we record, Romeo Lavia, what's happening with that one? I see uh, our old friend Fabrizio Romano says he's, he's had his medical. Are we expecting the announcement video to drop before this podcast? <laughs> well, of course, naturally. This stands the reason. Something has to happen before this pod goes out. But yeah, look, the fee was agreed a few days ago, initial 53 million pounds plus another five in add-ons subject to a medical and and that's what's been happening since then i was off yesterday sort of so i haven't chased up on it since then but it's going to be done and then pochettino is going to have a sort of light lovely sort of midfield options to choose from i mean i'm expecting i think we we sort of had a little debate about this on on uh, monday's show but it could be very very realistic to see Lavia and Casado behind Fernandez, and Fernandez really pushed forward um, for him to do lots of damage with his passing further up up the pitch. When you sort of think Jorginho was the passer of the team when he was when he was at the club, but he was very he was very deep, which meant that his creativity, if there if there was any, was few and far between because most of his work was was further back, and we even saw Fernandez from January to May last season, also playing in a very similar role to Jorginho. And as as well as he's impressed in that position, you could tell he was being wasted there. So I'm looking forward to seeing Enzo Fernandez, just like we saw on Sunday, being able to express himself far more than he has done so far and uh, and really making uh, Chelsea a, a threat further up the pitch. Is that how you see it? Two, Luke. Obviously, Lavia only nineteen, just the one season of Premier League experience. But you know, he did start twenty six times for Southampton last season. So I'm guessing he'll be coming in expecting to be a semi regular, if not nailed on week in week out. Yeah, I like it a lot, Matt. Um, I think it it works a lot because him, Enzo Fernandez, Moises Caicedo, you know, even Conor Gallagher into that mix, they're all quite different profiles of midfielder, and they all complement each other quite well I think and it allows Pochettino you know as I alluded to to play three of them together or play two of them together with injuries and suspensions and I think he's a really really good talent I mean it kind of showed from the fact that Chelsea bid for him just a couple of months after he signed for Southampton from Man City last August 
only now paying a little bit more than they bid then, which I, I guess is is good. And he's just a fantastic talent. I think, you know, Southampton fans would, would tell you that he was basically the only bright spot or the brightest spot in their team last season. Um, and he's just a phenomenal player. It's quite weird to me that he kind of went from, you know, never played for City and then almost after a couple of games with Southampton's best and most important player, his sort of rise to, you know, being an established Premier League midfielder has been quite rapid. But I mean, he, he just looks the business. Simon, how big a role has Joe Shields had to play in this one? We know that he came from Southampton to Chelsea earlier this year, wasn't it? And, and he was he was the guy who, who effectively took Lavia from Man City to Southampton with him, right? Yeah, very, very, very significant role. They had a relationship from Manchester City days because he also worked for Manchester City's academy. Then Joe Shields went to Southampton. Lavia's at Southampton. And funny enough, Joe Shields moved to Chelsea. Lavia moves to Chelsea. Yeah, it's a very significant role, very, very close relationship with Lavia and, and the family. There's been a lot of communication, as there would be, to get this deal done. Yes, Liverpool had their moment, kind of, uh, could we say it's almost like, you know, the, the title, the, the title game at Anfield 2014 and uh, the ball's being squared to Steven Gerrard. Oh, you could get Lavia. Oh, no, you've slipped. And uh, <laughs> And let Chelsea in. It, it's very, very much like that. Casado was a different story in that Casado always wanted Chelsea, whereas Lavia was certainly, whilst tempted by Chelsea, was was aware that Casado was, was number one and was clearly sort of open to the idea of joining Liverpool. But Liverpool switched to Casado at the last minute, plus the sort of messing about with bids below Southampton's valuation sent him a very bad signal, whereas... Chelsea, Joe Shields saying, we want you, we want you, we've wanted you since last year, et cetera, et cetera. He, he felt more wanted at Chelsea in the end. And um, yeah, Chelsea to Liverpool now. <laughs> um, it's just been announced as we're recording that Moises Caicedo, by the way, is among the nominees for the PFA Young Player of the Year. He's up against Evan Ferguson, Erling Haaland, Gabriel Martinelli, Jacob Ramsey and Pacayo Saka. So we see how he gets on with that. Um, Luke, we're kind of normalising all these transfers to Chelsea just because they're coming so thick and fast. But Michael Elise is another one which seems to be close. David Ornstein of The Athletic reporting on Tuesday that Chelsea expect to seal the deal. Uh, where do you see him fitting into this this Chelsea team, Luke? Because it's an area of the pitch where Chelsea are pretty well stocked already. Yeah, it is. And I think he'll probably come in expecting to start a lot of games considering... He's coming off the back of a very strong end uh, to last season. was very unfortunate to pick up that injury on France under 21's duty. And I think there are accusations, as always, of Chelsea stockpiling and people will draw comparisons to Noni Madueke uh, just because of the fact that they're both young. They're both sort of left-footed, tricky right-wingers who like to cut inside, very creative Olise, a bit more of a, a set piece specialist than Madueke. Madueke, probably more of like a, you know, ball carrier, take ons, etc. But I think it's good in a squad, even if we're not in Europe, to have multiple players that can kind of step in and don't weaken the team when they come in. I think for me, I'd probably put Olise just ahead of Madueke in terms of who I'd start on the right hand side, be it in a 3 4 3 or a 4 2 3 1. But I think it's good to have competition and, you know, that's it's, it's good for the team. 
I just think, God, again, this puts Raheem Sterling under under more pressure. Um, it's clearly what's going on at Chelsea. Younger players, smaller wages. He's an older player on a big, big contract who underperformed. He played very well on Sunday, I thought, against Liverpool. You could tell the fans were ready to jump on him every time he made a mistake, though. Um, there were groans every time he, he did do something wrong. But I thought he played well on Sunday. But clearly, he, he's got... Competition, which which actually, as, as Luke points out, I think that's a good thing for him too. Like he knows he has to raise his game um, if he wants to be part of Chelsea going forward. Because Chelsea have also shown they're not they're not shy in getting rid of players that are underperforming, no matter what contract you're on. And I'll just quickly add because we didn't touch on it in the Casado uh, segment that uh, just the the small fact that uh, he's wearing the number twenty five. And Gianfranco Zola has given him his blessing to, to wear that shirt. I just hope it works out better than when John Terry gave Koulibaly his blessing to wear the number 26. Yeah, I think Levi Colwell's really grateful to Kaladu Koulibaly, isn't he? Because he can take that number and like the heat has totally been taken off that situation uh, by Koulibaly. When I interviewed uh, Levi Colwell when he was on loan at Huddersfield, he also explained that's that's nothing to do really with John Terry. Um, it's the date of his birthday and he's always worn the 26th. So obviously there's probably a, a nice little homage to JT. He's not going to say no, but it, it's he's not thinking, oh, I, I'm the next John Terry. I'm going to wear the number 26. It, it's also the number he's always worn or tried to. Fair enough. Uh, listen, this will shock you. Chelsea are in for a Brazilian teenager. His name is David Washington, uh, Fabrizio Romano again, saying he has completed his medical and signed a contract from Santos. Um, Simon, this will be just another player going on loan for a year or two, presumably? Still to be decided. Um, again, on my day off, uh, God, get that violin out. <laughs> um, yeah, I found out that so the, the fee is 16 million euros plus 4 million in add-ons. Um, but a decision about what happens next is still to be decided. There'll be a bit of time taken. They'll get around the table, probably sort of allow him to sort of see Cobham <laughs> first. And maybe you'll have a few training sessions. But look, this is a, a classic Gabriel-type signing um, who's already gone on loan to, to Strasbourg. So, yeah, he, he will be put somewhere Strasbourg is not a set in stone it's, it's definitely a contender but it's not set in stone but yeah he, he's more than likely to to play elsewhere rather than be part of the squad this season all right well they're the incomings there might be some more let's talk about outgoings though uh reports doing the rounds again David Ornstein of The Athletic suggesting that Lewis Hall to Newcastle might be a goer uh Luke where do you stand on on this one it, it seems to me like Chelsea fans online fall into two camps with this kind of thing you're either staunchly an academy stand and they should all be in the first team or um you like the pure profit argument and yeah let's just get these kids out while we can get some money for them is, is there a middle ground for you or you're in one camp or the other no I, I like to think I uh occupy the middle ground quite safely and um you know, kind of piggybacking on a point that Sai made, I think, when we were chatting just before we started recording is that, you know, it's all very well and good being excited about all these incomings and, you know, great players that are joining. But you have to balance that in some aspect. And unfortunately, the most sellable assets, uh, as we've seen throughout this transfer window in the Chelsea squad, are a lot of academy talents. And I think, you know, Lewis Hall ended last season as one of the few bright spots in the Chelsea team. But, you know, if you look at it, on paper, he's 
only made a handful of first team appearances. He's 18 years old. Clearly, he's quite low down the pecking order in Maurizio Pochettino's thoughts in terms of both left back and centre back. You know, we saw that throughout pre-season. And 35 million is, you know, that's no joke in terms of a fee. That's a pretty significant fee. You know, that's basically paying for Elise, although that's not exactly how transfers work. And I think Chelsea have been burned before, obviously, previous administration. But, you know, you look at the offers that were turned down for someone like Callum Hudson-Odoi, how Chelsea would have, you know, probably loved to have taken the buy-in money when they when they had it now. But hindsight's twenty twenty, And I think there have been a lot of promising Chelsea Academy players that, that you know, we we all thought, you know, Nathaniel Chalabar, Josh McEachran, you know, throughout history or recent history, as it were, that, you know, we thought would make the the grade in the first team and just haven't. And then they've gone on, you know, left for free or they, you know, they've gone on loan after loan after loan and then made a small money move to a Premier League or Championship club. And we see it now with Hudson-Odoi, who's kind of in the bomb squad at Chelsea a little bit, you know, maybe he'll end up at Fulham, but didn't have a great season last year at Bayer Leverkusen. And to be honest, circling back to Lewis Hall, I think if a club are going to pay that much money for him, I think you have to take it and just move on. Well, it's interesting, Simon, that he's you know signed a new contract one week and looks to be going out the next. It, is the danger with, with this one that it might come back to bite Chelsea in a way that selling other players to Premier League rivals might not, as in Mount only had one year left on his contract. Havertz has scored a winning goal for Chelsea in the Champions League final, so his legacy is assured. Kovacic is going to Man City, who are the best team in the world. Fair enough. Might this be one if Newcastle finish fourth and Chelsea finish fifth and England doesn't get the extra Champions League place that people might be looking back on and saying, was this the wisest move? Yeah, I mean, but that that's that that is a case with with all transfers, including the one ones you mentioned involving the the senior players, football is about making these kind of delicate decisions. But it, it's it's just come down to basic finances. You got to have money coming in to afford the incredible spend that Chelsea are doing right now. I'm sorry that you know I'm sad to see Lewis Hall go. If that if it actually happens, let, let let's just say that you know this could all turn around and he could end up going on loan at Crystal Palace, which was which was plan A until it's done. You know, there may, there may be a, a, a late twist. But I, I am sorry to see him go because he's clearly a player of, of, of some potential. But that that is all he is. And is he going to get the minutes at Chelsea, certainly this season at the very least, um, to develop? No. Is he going to get the minutes next season? His, his best position, he wants to play in midfield. That's his uh, preferred position. How's he going to play there right now? Chelsea have gone and signed a bunch of young midfielders. Left back, there's more of an argument there for sure. But at the same time, you've got Ben Chilwell, of course, his first choice. You've got perhaps the most awkward part of this situation, the, the big money spent on Cucurella. Well, Chelsea aren't going to get their money back there, are they? And then, of course, they, they, there's the option of Ian Mutz and, and, and let's see what happens with him as well because you can't rule out the fact that he might be sold. I, I don't think you can rule anything out. I remember months ago being told everyone has a price at Chelsea. So that's their business model. And that, that's what me and him tried to explain in our FFP explainer, uh, you know, that, that Chelsea are going to be a, a heavily trading club. It's all about 
yes, spending big, but bringing lots of revenue in from sales. Now, how long that can continue remains to be seen. But the funny thing is Newcastle are going to end up with Livermento on one side, Lewis Hall on the other, two Chelsea homegrown players. Yeah, and Ant Gordon in front of them, who was attracting interest from Chelsea this time last year. Um, what about Hakim Ziyech? Poor old Hakim Ziyech, uh, Simon. Are Chelsea going to get a fee for him, or is the fact that he can't pass a medical going to going to hold that up? Galatasaray, the latest club linked with him, and conflicting reports as to whether he's fit enough to join them or not. Yeah, um, I feel like I'm repeating. So I'm going to change it now to before I played golf on Wednesday. <laughs> I made a quick inquiry um, that, yes, the Ziak to Galatasaray could happen. Although although there was a suggestion that PSG could still possibly be in the mix. But, of course, this Ziak medical, I asked about, is there fee involved? Got very sketchy at that point, person I was speaking to. So I'm not entirely sure. I can't, I, I can't tell you. I wouldn't be surprised if there isn't. I think they're, they're just so desperate to get him out of the building off the wage bill but um yeah i've seen the conflicting sort of medical discussion which is why his his move to saudi broke down uh supposedly a, a month or two ago so let's see i'm sure there'll be more developments um after i've stopped talking on this pod do you feel a bit sorry for him luke i mean he he, he was Pretty hopeless when he played last season, wasn't he? There was that really weird situation where he nearly went to PSG and then he ended up playing in the next game for Chelsea, didn't he? And it just feel like it's never really got going for him, but he's got to bear some of the responsibility for that as well, I guess. Yeah, I think it's always tricky when a player underperforms after a relatively big money move. And Ziyech has been unfortunate in that, you know, he's never really had too much time with one head coach. And he's never really managed to nail down, a, you know, a starting position because of that. And, you know, other players who play as an attacking midfielder or a right winger have been brought into the club. But as you say, his performances have not been, you know, what Chelsea would have wanted and what Chelsea fans would have wanted when they brought him in. And I think, you know, a parting of the ways, you know, should have been made six months ago, 12 months ago. And I wish him all the best where, with wherever he uh, picks his career up next. Uh, Simon, how far off are we from Romelu Lukaku accepting his fate and moving to Saudi Arabia? And have you got any news for me on Callum Hudson-Odoi or Trevor Chalaba? Lukaku, same as before. <laughs> Going to be starting on Sunday for Chelsea up front. Nicholas Jackson dropped. Tongue-in-cheek, everybody. See, I, I had him pegged, if not for Saudi, then for MLS, but he's been usurped to LA Galaxy by Billy Sharp. I mean, the guy just cannot catch a break. No, I mean, and, and neither can Chelsea, sort of like all the options, sort of the easy options. I think I spoke about this the other day, all the options, that the doors are closing. They'll have to come up with some solution, but I don't know don't know what it is yet. Hudson-Odoi, Fulham has been the, the long-term closest thing, closest club, and there's been a lot of um, back and forth over fee. I think Nottingham Forest have been interested, Matt, and Crystal Palace, I think maybe now interested in him as well but uh again it's, a, it's another one another situation i'm gonna to have to chase up as soon as we're done but uh it's important for him to get this sorted sooner rather than later um, he wanted to get this move done before the season started and yet here we are already a game in so wherever he joins he's going to be playing catch up 
because he won't have done pre-season with his new team, etc. But it's important for him, wherever he ends up, that he gets playing on a regular basis and can show perhaps the player that made Chelsea give him such a big contract in the first place. Now, everything's gone his way, of course, that awful Achilles injury, a real what-if moment in uh, not just his career, but also for Chelsea Football Club. Interesting this Luke say, say his options are, are, are Fulham Forest or Palace he, the assumption might be that he'd like to stay in London but on the other side of the coin if Fulham have been in for him for so long if you were Hudson Adoy, would you not be getting a bit aggrieved and thinking well if you want me pay the money and get the deal done and I guess as far as Forest go it might not be as an attractive an option but as with many players who we talk about he's got that existing relationship with Steve Cooper and maybe he is a, an arm around the shoulder kind of player and that's what it takes to get the best from him. Yeah I think the Fulham one is a bit of an interesting situation you know the Willian situation as well that's something that Sai has been been very on top of is obviously probably been in Fulham's thoughts as to whether they need another wide player if, if Willian was going to stay or go. And then Palace as well, you know, they're, if Elise does join Chelsea, they're going to need another wide player. So it's all sort of linked in the transfer domino effect. And Forrest as well with Brennan Johnson, there's been a lot of rumours about linking him this way and that. Brentford, Tottenham have been clubs interested. And I know he's more of a forward than an out-and-out winger, but again, it's all linked. And I think, you know, as I said, he he needs to get a move. So I think anyone that's willing to to make a move and, and get to an asking price, I think he's just going to take it. Uh, elsewhere, Harvey Vale joined Bristol Rovers on loan this week. Sadly for him, that means he's got to work for Joey Barton. On the plus side, he came off the bench in the Gasses win at Charlton on Tuesday when former Blues Scott Sinclair and Luke McCormick both started. Uh, before we move on from transfers, Simon, Cesare Cassidy, we saw a lot of him in pre-season in America. He's joined Leicester on loan for this season. Do you think that he is better there in the Championship winning every week pretty much or would a, a lower-end Premier League loan have been um, more suited to getting in Premier League ready? I'm quite happy with this loan because he's joining a big club, like Leicester, a massive club, and the expectation and pressure on them to win promotion back to the Premier League means he's, he'll be playing in a in demanding environment, which is what he would face if, if he ever gets into that Chelsea senior squad. The most important thing, it sounds like a broken record given what I've just said about Hudson, is, is, is minutes. He, he needs to be playing. I think he showed in a very poor Reading team on loan in the second half of last season that he can cope with the physicality of, of the Championship. I noticed Reading fans waxing lyrical about him. And of course, he's gone on to have a, a brilliant under-20 World Cup. So I, I think all in all, this is a good move. Where, where, the, where the people will think, well, perhaps he could have joined a lower Premier League club. There's always potentially a bigger risk of him not playing in a Premier League club that's down the bottom of the table because managers are going to go with or, or be leaning more towards experience and... Whereas perhaps not saying underestimating the pressure Leicester under, but but perhaps there's more an opportunity and there's 46 games and so on and so forth. And also the manager, the Leicester coach is is very much coach Senzo Maresca really wants him and has made that really clear. I think that's, that's important. I'm looking forward to seeing how he gets on. Going to be very tough for him to make it at Chelsea as as we've discussed with all their options, but I've always really liked him. I, I watched him a lot. Last season um, in the development squad, you could tell 
He was quality. But then Chelsea's business model, they signed him for around, what, 12 million euros, 12, 30 million euros. He goes on, has a really good loan. You can see where Chelsea are thinking, we, we can make money on this guy if it comes to that. All right, that'll do for transfer updates. Tune in on Monday to hear about all the deals that we missed. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. So, this weekend, Chelsea go to the in no way soulless and totally unsuitable for football London Stadium to take on West Ham United. Uh, we'll talk about what might happen on the pitch soon, but importantly, we've got some chant updates. Uh, if you listened on Monday, your ears might still be bleeding after my attempt at an on-the-spot Caicedo chant. Uh, our vast social media team took to Twitter to ask you for alternative suggestions. Uh, Martin let ChatGPT do the work for him. There are four verses to this one. So um, I'll just give you the highlights from, well, the chorus is, Oh, Moises, Moises, from Ecuador's fields to Chelsea's days, playing with heart for family and fame, Moises, Moises, forever our flame. It doesn't have what the tune is do here, uh, but it goes on. In Santo Domingo, where his journey began, playing on dusty fields, rising to a Premier League man, with Caicedo's FC, with family he'd stand, now at Stamford Bridge, with Chelsea fans hand in hand. Uh, Simon, it's got to be reassuring to you to hear this and know that ChatGPT isn't going to take over your job anytime soon. I don't think of an offensive chant about chat GPT. I mean, that was, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that was, uh, by the time you sang all that, the game's finished, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, well, that was just two of the four verses. Not great. Uh, there's a better one here that came from Putin Pio Rai Wan. Ubla uh, di, Kaisi do, life goes on. He's not up for Liverpool. Quite like that. Uh, Chelsea Social offered, wake me up before you go-go. Klopp's rejected by Lavia and Caicedo, which there's some potential there as well, I think. If you've got any more, do let us know. But we'll quickly move on to the West Ham game. Um, I'm assuming, Luke, that Moises Caicedo is going to come straight into the starting lineup here in the place of Conor Gallagher or Carney Chukwemeka? Well, as, as we all know, Matt, uh, Moises Caicedo was suffering with an injury. Um, as Brighton were very keen to tell everyone, which is why he uh, didn't feature in their final preseason game. So maybe it'll be a surprise um, if he starts. But no, um, I think he will. I think he will come in. Yeah, as you say. I mean, you know, whether Mauricio Pochettino sticks with the same system, it might be a centre back that drops out and Caicedo comes in. Who knows? Simon, we we spoke a lot about Chuck Wemeka, didn't we, in, in the build-up to the game. We all had him in our team. It, it's Let's say that there's a similar formation to what we saw on Sunday. Do you think that he maintains his place or Gallagher would go forward instead of him? Or or are you expecting Chelsea to go back into the 4-2-3-1 we saw in uh, the majority of pre-season? I'll just call Poch now. Um, <laughs> I, I'll be honest with you, I don't know. Look, no one saw Sunday coming, so that that's thrown a, a, a real curveball in the mix. I think Chikwemeka would be ahead of Gallagher if it comes to that sort of number 10 role, just because of his performances in, in pre-season and, and the way he grew into the game on, on Sunday. 
I think he offers more, let's just say, sort of a, a way of inter- interacting with teammates. I think it works better. Gallagher, I, I like his energy, and I'm as frustrated as he is that he doesn't seem to be given that forward role very often. But I, I would say if there was a straight battle between the two, it'd be uh, Chuck Wemmicker that would get the nod. Another battle to keep an eye on, I guess, Luke, is we, we mentioned Raheem Sterling and, and that he played okay last week, but his place is under pressure. Might Mikhailo Mudrik be looking at this game as one that he could supplant Sterling as a starter for? Yeah, quite possibly. But I think by the same token, Chelsea played quite well against Liverpool and I don't think Poch would want to change too much uh, going into the West Ham game. And especially because, you know, it's a fresh season for Mudrik, a fresh start, I think. It would be nice to kind of ease him in. And Sterling is is well-versed with coping with the pressure, coping with high demands. And to be honest, considering the youth that Chelsea have in their front line, you know, in almost every combination, I quite like the fact that Sterling can offer some experience and a bit of leadership to help guide some of the younger players. So so for me, I'd, I'd stick with Sterling. But Mudrik is, is, as you say, definitely putting him under pressure, which, as we've talked about, is is good for the squad competition. As we're recording, Simon, some stories coming out that Chelsea will be looking to sign up a backup goalkeeper to Robert Sanchez rather than somebody to provide competition for him. This is one that's almost crept under the radar a little bit, hasn't it? I think that that Sanchez came in, we were told, as competition for Kepper and and now he's the number one. He kept a clean sheet on this ground for Brighton last season. But I guess there's a bit more scrutiny on him now that we know he is the first choice going forward. Yeah, it's it's, it's a rap. It's been a rapid um, developing situation, but yeah, once once Kepa made it pretty clear he wanted to leave, and, and Pochettino um, said that on Sunday that he only wanted players that are committed to the club, and Kepa's already come out and said on joining Real Madrid, "Oh, I hope to stay beyond this loan." I think um, Chelsea fans would welcome that as well, generally speaking. So yeah, it, it, I think Robert Sanchez. It was stressed to me that he is first choice. So backup goalkeeper, um, they're now scouring, looking for options. But um, now Robert Sanchez has to prove that he is good enough to be Chelsea number one. I think the impression I'm getting is from the fan base is that no one is particularly excited. There's no one sort of going, wow, we've got this. It's not a Moises Casado type signing in goal. So can he really make the step up from playing well at Brighton to the pressure of playing for a massive club like Chelsea where every mistake is going to be scrutinised, especially on this podcast. (laughs) Very much so. Uh, Luke, it's about time Chelsea win a game at the London Stadium, isn't it? Only one win on the last six visits there. Uh, Do you think they're going to do so? And is the key to doing that going to be not giving free kicks within 30 yards of the goal now they've got James Ward-Prowse? Yeah, very much. Um, Set pieces are going to be a, a big thing for West Ham, obviously. At the back, they've got Kurt Zuma, who Chelsea fans are, are very well-versed with his threat from uh, corners and free kicks. And Nayef uh, Agard as well, who uh, the Moroccan centre-back, who is equally, I think, very strong in the air. Uh, and it's a very interesting game because West Ham are in a bit of a weird situation with David Moyes, the sort of transfers or lack thereof, and obviously the developing kind of situation with Lucas Paquetar. Uh, and whether Manchester City are going to make a move for him. He obviously joined from Lyon last year. I had a pretty good season, but was a little bit stifled creatively. I think West Ham are one of those sides, you never really know what to expect from them, uh, which you could probably say about half the teams in the Premier League. 
but I think Chelsea will go in as favourites. But as you say, Matt, the, uh, the the record away to West Ham in recent years is not good. Uh, it's a nice cliche, Simon, but I always feel like it's particularly true for the away team at West Ham. If you start the game well, have a good 20 minutes, it doesn't take long for them to turn on the players, does it? So that, that might be key for Chelsea here. You're right, but then I, I've been to this this game so many times and the, the, the ground has been sort of morose and deadly quiet and then Chelsea let them score a really rubbish goal and suddenly it becomes a different different game altogether. It reminds me a little bit and I have to be careful what I say here because I don't want to offend Everton fans, but it reminds me a bit of Goodison Park games. Uh, it's very similar. The amount of times I've been up there and Everton, all the pressure's on them. You can tell that the crowd aren't happy with, with, with what they've been seeing for weeks. And it's almost like Chelsea get lulled. I've been lulled into this sort of false sense of security. It's sort of both grounds are going, well, it'll be an easy day for us today. And then all it takes is a goal and the whole mood changes in the stadium. I mean, Goodison Park, I'm not comparing Goodison Park with the, the atmosphere at the London Stadium because um, Goodison Park is definitely a different level and it's a traditional home ground. But if you were to ask West Ham fans about some of the best atmospheres that, that, that have been at the London Stadium since they moved there, it would have been in games against Chelsea. And it's something they certainly get themselves up eventually <laughs> at West Ham, it seems. For a game against Chelsea, it may take them about 25 minutes, but they, they, they suddenly, all it takes is, a, a like I said, a, a scrappy set piece or something, and suddenly it's a different match. You could argue this is this is the venue of um, the demise of Edouard Mendy's career at Chelsea. Um, it really seemed to begin with that with his role in that 3-2 defeat, which also ended um, Chelsea's reign at the top of the table uh, that season, uh, the 21-22 season. And you could also say perhaps that was the start of the demise of Thomas Tuchel too. So it's all West Ham's fault. Watch out, Potch. <laughs> all right. Well, on Monday, we will break down Chelsea's 3-1 win. Two goals for Nicholas Jackson. And let's say, well, I don't know, Enzo Fernandez gets his first Blues goal. Elsewhere in Chelsea news, at the Women's World Cup, heartbreak for Sam Kerr, but joy for Millie Brighton Co. England beat Australia 3-1 to take their place in Sunday's final against Spain. Simon, Millie Bright, she hadn't played since March, I think, for Chelsea because of this knee injury. I think that her leadership has been exceptional so far in this tournament. I thought it was really interesting to watch her and Kerr in the pre-match, swapping the pennants but barely looking at each other. And then you've got Kerr scoring that brilliant goal after Bright backs off a bit. And just a few minutes later, it's Bright who plays the through ball, cutting through the Australia defence for England to go 2-1 up. Uh, Jess Carter as well has got a lot of praise, but I think it, it's worth us giving Millie Bright some love because to come back from a serious injury and go straight into a World Cup as captain, that takes mm. some doing mentally and physically. Yeah, absolutely extraordinary. And now she's got her reward. I, I'm, I'm sure when she was injured, she was thinking being injured is one of the loneliest experiences any footballer can go through. But that, that sort of carrot of a World Cup final must have been in her mind as she was going through all those exercises. Can I get back not only physically, but can I sort of get back to playing to the level required? And she answered, if there were any doubts going into that semi-final, she, she, she certainly answered those. And it's just fantastic that we've got a World Cup final to look forward to for the England women 
no mean feat to beat Australia in that atmosphere. And as an Englishman, beating Australia at anything could be tiddlywinks as far as I'm concerned. It's always it's always great, but to do it in such a huge occasion on their own pitch, on their own turf, yeah, have that. <laughs> That's for the Ashes, both men and women, by the way. Uh, we owed them one. And um, I'm also happy for, of course, bring it back to an- another sort of Chelsea side things. I'm also happy for Lauren James, who's had to sit there anxiously for two matches thinking, have I played my last game at this World Cup? Well, now she's got a chance to, to play in the final. Whether she'll start from the bench, whether that that um, flash of indiscipline is going to cost her a starting place in the World Cup. You know, Serena Wiegmann might sort of think, well, you've shown a bit of an experience there and and should I just go with the team that, that got us to the final? We'll wait and see. But at least she's got a chance to be involved in what is, could be uh, a very historic occasion for the England women's team. Well, this is going to be my question to you, Luke. If you're Serena Wiegmann, do you put Lauren James back in the starting eleven? I mean, surely the the likelihood is that she starts from the bench, right? Purely because it would be strange to to disrupt the team that's done so well in the in well, certainly in the semi final and, and got through in the in the quarters. Yeah, I think although Wiegmann did shock kind of uh, you know England fans by switching to this three back system uh, during the tournament, I think her her mo as her time as England head coach has been you know, very consistent with her lineups. And I think Ella Toon, who came in in place of Lauren James, had come under a bit of flack in the last kind of six, 12 months of her England career for not massively delivering. But she, of course, scored England's opening goal against Australia. She played pretty well. And I think Wiegmann will go with the same team that started the quarterfinal, same team that started the semi-final. Well, we'll see. It's 11 o'clock UK time that it kicks off. England against Spain in the World Cup final. Good luck to the Chelsea reps involved with that. Uh, in terms of the academy teams, the under-21s take on Brighton in PL2 on Friday night. The under-18s get their season underway when they face Crystal Palace at Cobham on Sunday morning. Oh dear, as we've been recording, it looks like that Lewis Hall move to Newcastle has got a little bit closer. All right, we're getting closer to the finish of this week's pod, but we are going to finish things off with a quiz. Right, it's Luke's debut in the quiz. There's only two questions each this week, you'll be pleased to know. Luke, you're going to go first. Which West Ham defender last season became the first player to win each of the four modern UEFA club competitions? That's the Champions League, Europa League, Europa Conference League, Super Cup. He's also won the UEFA European Championship. I believe it is former Chelsea legend, Emerson. That is absolutely right. Would you have got that, Simon? Yeah. Yeah, easy to say that, isn't it, when somebody's already got it? Uh, but no, I believe it. Uh, here's your first question. It's a bit harder, Simon. Ben Chilwell got the winner when Chelsea played West Ham at Stamford Bridge last season. How many league goals has Chilwell scored for Chelsea in his 58 appearances? And he made 58 league appearances for Chelsea. Um, how many league goals? Mm. Um... So it's the classic guesswork question you've given me. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> um, thanks for that. Uh, I'll go six. Oh, it's close, but it's not right. Do you know it, Luke? Uh, I mean, I was. I would have said seven. <laughs> You'd have been wrong too. It was eight. But... 
pretty close. Uh, right, so Luke, if you get this, you've won. Who made his first Chelsea start in the one-all draw with West Ham at the London Stadium last season? Stepping up a level now. Mm. Uh, I, 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 in my mind, I now can't even remember when this game was. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go Enzo Fernandez. Well, you can steal it, Simon. Yeah, because that would have been my guess. And it wasn't... It wasn't Felix. Because he started against Fulham. It wasn't Mudrick because he came on against Liverpool. I'm struggling. Pass. This is what Fernandez did to Joao Felix for the goal. <laughs> it was Noni Madweke. Oh. Like the only January signing we didn't mention. Okay, well, you can still you can still force a tiebreaker, which Lucy's already written. Wow. Uh, if you get this one right, Simon. Who got the second goal in Chelsea's 2-0 win against West Ham at Stamford Bridge in March 1994? Can't be. I'm I'm going to go there just because it's so ridiculous. Not Barnard, surely. It was Darren Barnard. Of course it was. It's the first <laughs> Darren Barnard question of this year's quiz. It takes us excitingly to a tiebreak. Right, I will accept nearest to the correct answer wins here. Is it, can, can I just say, it's amazing how many things Darren Barnard did when I don't remember Darren Barnard doing anything, but he seems to crop up a lot. It's amazing how many times I've reworded that particular question to shoot on it in. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the tiebreak. Closest wins. Uh, Luke, you can have first guess. How much does a Chelsea Nike home stadium shirt, 23-24, with Caicedo 25 printed on the back of it cost? Oh. So the home shirt with Caicedo 25. How much are you forking out for that in British pounds? Okay, I'm going to go... With so many different versions of shirts these days, I can't keep I up. I, I remember, I remember, you used to get them for thirty quid from Sports Direct. Simpler times. <laughs> um, I'm going to go something like eighty-seven pound fifty. Okay, eighty-seven fifty for Luke Simon. Any advance on that? I'm going for around one hundred. Now my maths is lamentably poor, but Simon's won. Thanks for the confirmation, Lucy. Just about the price. Bear in mind, this is for a football shirt. £94.95. pence. If you Bargain. Caicedo 25 on the back. What a racket. Uh, you can buy it without a sponsor at the moment, though, which I guess is something. Um, hard luck, Luke. Nobody ever wins their first go on the quiz, but you'll come back stronger for this. Exactly, yeah. Something to strive for in the future. <laughs> Fans for class, as always, Simon. You must be pleased to make it two from two at the start of the new campaign. Taking each game as it comes, Matt. <laughs> uh, tell us what you're working on for Athletic subscribers to enjoy, please, Simon. <laughs> Apart from the daily transfer grind, still the big read, because we haven't done our traditional big read on uh, Casado and Lavi. It's going to be a, a, a sort of WWE, WWF sort of tag team. It's going to be, there's a lot of stuff to put together and um, I've got a headache just thinking about it. Uh, Luke, is there anything that you would like to plug? Um, oh, well, I think, you know, in terms of Romeo Lavio, the move hasn't been confirmed yet, but, you know, it, it almost certainly will be. And 
Andy Jones, who is a, a Liverpool correspondent. Uh, I don't know why he uh, he's been writing about Chelsea players, but um, him and Jacob Tanswell have written a really good piece about. I was actually just reading it before the podcast about what he Lavia will bring to Chelsea. Uh, it got me very excited. That's a top bit of trolling from whatever editor put him on that. Let's hope it was Dom. Uh, also up on The Athletic, Ahmed Walid has a piece on how Raheem Sterling's clever positioning helped Chelsea unlock Liverpool's defence. Remember, athletic.com slash Chelsea pod is the place to go to sign up if you aren't currently a subscriber. It'll only cost you £1.99 a month for 12 months. You can follow us on Twitter slash X at SOCobhamPod2. That's the best way to keep in touch with us during the week but we will be back on Monday with another show breaking down that West Ham game and talking all the other transfers which will have happened in the meantime join us for that if you can for now though many thanks to Luke to Simon and to Lucy and to you for joining us too we'll catch up with you next week have a good weekend The Athletic